Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the Practical Voice Podcast. This week we speak to Joel Beckerman of Man Made Music. Joel is an author, he's an author of The Sonic Boom, the way sound transforms the way we think, feel and buy. He's worked with clients such as Disney, Mercedes, AT&T, Southwest Airlines, Nissan, the BBC, the list goes on. He's worked on scoring TV uh, shows. He's worked on creating music and creating uh, sonic identity and bra- uh, audio branding for brands like IMAX. Um, so he's gone from TV, he's got experience with cinema, he's worked with Nissan in creating a soundscape and a sound design for their cars, electric cars. I mean, this guy is absolutely unbelievable. The way that he approaches soundscaping and sound design is totally refreshing. We talk about sonic branding and sound design and soundscaping within the context of voice assistance, but more broadly within the world as well. I mean, this one... It'll change the way you think about audio branding full stop. It'll certainly make you reconsider or start to consider the the role that sound plays in your voice assistant experiences. And it might even, big claim, but it might even change the way you listen to the sounds that are around you on a daily basis. It's absolutely fantastic. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, me and Dustin absolutely love this one and I think you will as well. This is VUX World. Yes. So, where are you? Where are you now, Joel? Uh, I'm in my studio in New York City, in uh, in the financial district. Nice. Uh, about a half about a half a block away from the stock exchange, but I don't have their money. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be it must be a fairly kind of unique a studio, right in the middle of the financial district, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite unique. There, there really uh, th- there was a you know, after unfortunately 9/11, there were a lot of vacancies in the area. So what happens? All the creative companies kind of swarmed down here, and uh, we built a studio. We we, we um, half jokingly call it the Sonic Penthouse because <laughs> we're in the top floor here, which means we have nice high ceilings, which are perfect, rec- you know, for recording studios. And wow. yeah, we built it here about three and a half years ago. Wow! So, so anytime com- if you, so I was just going to say, anytime you're in New York, uh, you're more than welcome to come by for a tour. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, what? Well, so what? Do you obviously do sort of live music recording, and and do you do music as well as the sort of sound design and soundscaping for films and and all? Do the whole whole sort of package over there, do you? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, a big focus. So you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a television composer and a and a film. You know, do a little bit of film as well. And uh, this really was sort of my my dream facility, and uh, you know we, we were a ten year overnight success when we came down here. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's sort of um, you know I, I've sort of had a love affair uh, with music and sound for a very long time. So this was kind of a culmination of that curiosity about some you know. So, so obviously there is music and then there's sound and then there's also this sort of nether region between the two. So it's allowed me to um, be the variety junkie that I am and, and work on a lot of different kinds of things. There was an article that, it's it's from last year, 2017. It was in, it was in Forbes. And uh, let me just pick it out because that's where I sort of first come across you. But it was recently that I come across this article, which is really weird. It's from... 
June 2017, and it's called Is Sound Design the Next Frontier for Branding? And it's you and the contributor that written it was Will Burns. Um, so that's where I kind of first sort of come across you and man-made music. And obviously I've met Frank a couple of times. But let's talk a little bit about you, Joel. I mean, I, I won't reel off everything because you know you better than I know you. But I mean... Previous work, Disney, Mercedes, AT&T, you know, you mentioned you work for TV, IMAX, you did the IMAX counter. I've got a few clips of all this stuff, so I'll play some of this throughout because some of it is absolutely intense. Uh, and you're also an author of the Sonic Boom. Um, for those people well, that have uh, never had an introduction foremost, to man-made music I'm, I'm or yourself, Joel, tell us a little composer. bit about that's yourself really and what I, you're doing I with I come with from, that's my music. background. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, you know, I've had the the pleasure and honor of working a lot of great television series, including uh, Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. We did about nine seasons of that. Uh, the Super Bowl on NBC, um, quite a few different types of projects, uh, comedies, dramas. And really, uh, the evolution of my company, as you pointed out, really started with uh, the book that I wrote, The Sonic Boom, How Sound Transforms the Way We Think, Feel, and Buy. And uh, it really came from this moment where I was working on the final episode of a series, uh, a dramatic series, and I won't tell you what it is, so don't bother asking because I'm <laughs> about to trash them. So what uh, what happened was I was staring at the seventh cut of the last six or seven minutes of the uh, of the the final episode of the season, and if you know anything about the television business, unless you draw a certain audience to that. And then that audience, you know, shows up for the first episode of the next season. You're probably not going to get another season. So uh, I'm staring at the seventh cut, and the director and the producer realized that they had made some huge mistakes in terms of some of the performances, and there were holes in the script, and there were a lot of things that didn't make sense. So I'm staring at this cut and just shaking my head. I had done six other cuts and basically hadn't slept in about five days, uh, and, and I knew I was never going to make them happy. So I'm staring at this seventh cut and I'm saying to myself, I wish I could score anything in the world except what's on this screen right now. And it was like, oh, that's actually a really interesting idea. And that led me to write the book. And in addition to, and so basically the, the book is about, uh, I certainly have learned how to score stories moment to moment to moment in television and film. And the thought is, how can I now in this next uh, era of my career score the rest of the world? How can I take all those things that I know and apply it to things like theme parks, uh, devices, uh, large-scale spaces like stadiums, museums, uh, electric cars? We actually designed the external uh, vehicle sound for the Nissan electric cars coming up. In the world uh, of electric cars, for instance, I don't know if you've ever had one sneak up on you, but it's a real hazard for pedestrian safety. Uh, it, you know, it, and it's something that both in uh, the uh, the excuse me something in both in the EU and in the states there are regulations that are coming up to to solve for this but uh, Nissan came to us and said uh, you know I think very intelligently we know that these cars need to make sound for safety but also isn't there a branding opportunity 
And of course there is. You know, we, we love uh, classic Mustangs because they have a certain sound. And we love Mercedes because uh, they have a certain sound. Mustang is, has that uh, sort of guttural, um, testosterone-fueled sound. And the uh, Mercedes, when you close the door and, and the actual engine sound, it has a very sort of distinct uh feeling of, of luxury and feeling of, of a fine automobile. So the sound for Nissan, it was really the question, well, what should it sound like? What should electric cars sound like? And so we really built that off of thinking about the brand, thinking about what people expect in the vehicle and expect in the car and expecting the experience. And really what it came down to is we recognized that the car needed to have a soul. <laughs> and that soul was really about clean energy. And it was really about uh, helping people understand that this was really a car that is green, better for the planet. Those are the audiences that they're most interested in, in addition to efficiency. So we created a, a sound for them, which we can play here. which really is completely manufactured. We are in this age now, this new age of audio, where with all these electronic projects, uh, all the electronic products that are out there, that really we have the ability to create those sounds from scratch. And if you think about the implications on that, as there are more and more electric vehicles on the road, we actually can really completely change the sound of our cities. Why do we have to, for instance, when uh, an emergency vehicle comes by, why do we have to scare people with that sound? We don't. These are sounds that actually can be crafted for humans at the center of the experience as compared to the noisy, crazy, cacophonous cities and cacophonous uh, sound that is in our lives right now. Mm. Even it's inter it's interesting you were saying about the only emergency vehicles even like car horns when you picture kind of like busy cities you just picture these like intensely screeching like loud brash car horn noises and that's just not a pleasant sound at all is it? it it's not and actually when you think about autonomous vehicles which are not too far away there is yet a whole other way to think about design why not for instance, well, har obviously car horns will become unnecessary uh, because, uh, except maybe to warn uh, pedestrians, but you know, one car will not need to honk the horn for another because they will know spatially right, you know, that, that they're right next to each other. But in addition to that, think about those emergency vehicle sounds. Probably the the autonomous cars will actually automatically pull to the side of the road, and the only reason then to have the siren at all, which can be much simpler, more pleasing, is to let you know why the car stopped. And what's really interesting is when you um, we we actually did a uh, a soundscape for the BBC Radio Four. You created something for us, haven't you? We did with with pleasure. This imaginary soundscape created for us by Joel Beckerman and Joel Duick is based on sounds being tested at the moment. So when internal combustion engines are gone, we start to hear things like birds in the trees and the church bell in the distance. Various electric cars pass by and an electric bus approaches slows to a halt 
and then chatting passengers exit the bus. The future sounds lovely. Uh, where, and, and here's what's interesting. When combustion engines go away, you start to hear things like birds in the trees, pedestrians walking on the sidewalk. You start to hear things like church bells in the city because those annoying sounds are no longer necessary. And again, with things like electric vehicles, we can craft these sounds from scratch. We're not tied to what combustion engines sound like anymore. Mm. So it sounds as though... It sounds as though... um, you mentioned good one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll put like a boom, boom in the back of that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds as though you're um, so you you started from TV and and then you've kind of gone into into kind of almost scoring the rest of the world and and you know today we, we were we we're going to discuss voice assistants and and audio branding in in the kind of voice assistants or smart speaker world. It seems as though you know if you can if you can. Put a soundtrack to a TV show and tell a story through sound, and you can transfer that skill set to then, you know, create soundscapes for theme parks and electric cars. It almost sounds as though you've kind of either got a methodology or a way of thinking that that can fit sound to whatever it needs to be fit to, irregardless of what that thing is. I'm just wondering whether there's any, from your mind, is there a distinct difference between creating some sort of soundscape for a TV show versus for an electric car versus for a voice assistant? That's a really great question. The answer is, in all these different kinds of experiences, whether it's entertainment or products or smart speakers, what's really important is to put the human being, the audience, the consumer at the center of that experience and determine what does that person need moment to moment to moment. So to me, soundscapes for uh, automobiles and for television shows and for products and for stadiums, it's all kind of the same thing. They require different tools, different instrumentation, different ways to think about it. Um, They also require different kinds of research to really understand, are we actually communicating the messages that we think we're communicating? And also, how do those sounds apply and really hit the ear of people around the world? We can't make those assumptions. We need to make sure we understand what sounds work cross-culturally, especially in products and entertainment that go around the globe. So it, it is very much the same creative exercise, but with a lot of other uh, elements that are necessary to make sure that the sound is impactful and effective and doing exactly what we want it to do. On top of that, it's really important to understand the neuroscience of this. So we actually respond to sound quicker than any other sense, even touch. And because of that, sound in a very real way becomes the arbiter of all our other senses and multisensory experiences. So when we think about sound in association with products, uh, there's a visual component. Sometimes there's even a scent component. And all those things need to work together. And when they don't, you actually have horrible experiences. Those are experiences that confuse people, uh, that really uh, are, are not good experiences. So in smart speakers, for instance, let me just give you an example. One of the biggest problems with smart speakers right now and why the vast majority of companies that are, that are content creating for smart speakers, why they're not 
effective, why they're really not doing the job they need to do is, again, they're not thinking about moment to moment what people need. And, and really, people don't need voices talking to them all the time. That's foreground sound. That's sound that demands your attention moment to moment. But think about how we operate in the world, just even the footsteps that we might uh, make on the pavement help us keep sure-footed. Uh, if, you, if you click a, a lock, like a deadbolt lock, th there's nobody saying, oh, the door is locked. You don't need that. You just need a little sonic cue to understand what's happened at that moment. And those sounds all become background sounds. So unfortunately, I think most people are, are not thinking properly about smart speakers. They're thinking really just about the voice component rather than thinking about scoring people's experiences with the user in the middle. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like what you brought up right there. It reminds me, uh, recently was going through the gate uh, to, to the little passage that leads to my apartment, and I didn't hear the gate close. Uh and, and I knew instantly that something was off, right? Like, what's wrong with the gate? Uh, is it broken? What's going on? Uh, and like you said, I didn't need to hear, the gate is now closed. And voice assistance, especially the way I think about them, is it's there to allow people to do things more efficiently. And sound, uh, it seems like, really has a place to aid in that that people aren't taking advantage of right now. Again, what it, you're you're one hundred percent right. Again, think about how we might score those experiences in ways that are useful. So we actually created, uh, or I should say, recreated the sounds uh, soundscapes for a number of different Alexa skills that are out there. One is buying a movie ticket. Another was turning the lights on and off in your house. The third was really a step by step experience where you were taking the stain out of your shirt. And here's what we realized. When you scored those experiences and helped people understand where they were through the process, so buying a movie ticket sounded like you were at the movies and you got a sense from the sound that you were successful in your purchase. Welcome to Man Made Movies. People uh, overall through those three experiences were 27% more likely to say that those experiences were fast and 32% more likely to say that those experiences were enjoyable and they want to do it again. So for the turning lights on and off in your house, it sort of sounded like the semiotics of a light switch, but special. Turn the living room lights on. Dim the living room lights to 50%. Not exactly like a light switch, but definitely reminiscent of a light switch, working off of the semiotics of sound that we are already familiar with in our lives. And the step-by-step -step experience that we rescored, taking the stain out of your shirt, every time you completed a step, the sound would go up. Pour club soda or cold water on stain. Blot with absorbent cloth. Pour liquid detergent on stain and rub fabric together. Let it stand for several minutes, then rinse with cold water. Wash according to care label. Would you like a text message to outline the stain removal steps? Yes. All right. Remember, to conquer tough stains, just ask man-made detergent. 
So you knew that you were successful and you got a little sense of uh, 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 satisfaction from each of those steps. So again, it's about scoring experiences. And what's, what's super interesting in this is we were actually able to take a lot of the voice out of those experiences. And again, that's taking out the, uh, the foreground sound that demands your attention. You think about, uh, we, we love to multitask, especially in this day and age. And scoring experiences allows us to multitask through different elements and, and, and uh, really different types of experiences we have in our life. The other, the other thing that's really important to think about in terms of use case with smart speakers, I don't know about you, but I have several in my house. And if I have one of my kids in one room using a smart speaker and my wife is using a smart speaker in another room and I'm using one, there is this cacophony. Again, we're making this very noisy, horrible environment in our home. And if to think about how technology is now really permeating so many different personal spaces, our automobiles, our homes, our social connections with people through technology. And it's so, so important that we're making those experiences really useful and also pleasant, pleasurable. It's in a lot of ways, it's, it's all entertainment. And we really need to be thinking about those uh, kind of elements and not just talking at people. Mm. So I go on to sin. So Joel, you mentioned uh, a few different use cases and you talked about one in terms of turning the lights on and off and how those are related to the, the natural sound of a light turning on and off. How important is it that the, the sounds that someone is adding to these skills are analogous to the real world? If I'm buying movie tickets, should I include a, sort of a printer sound in the ticket tearing or do you have an opportunity to just start scra from scratch and say, this is a new world. We can uh, we can do whatever we want. It, it's interesting because a lot of uh, UX designers think about using exact sounds from the real world, and the reality is that's not what people want. It's not really useful. Um, in fact, things like a ticket machine sound could be quite annoying. So the question is really emotionally: What do people need moment to moment to moment? Maybe if there is a little uh, quiet pad of sound like strings, very much like you, you experience in the movies, that can cover the latency that we often experience in technology because technology is not, not always instantaneous. So it, it, that way you know something's happening. And again, just having a little uh, chime that is distinctive and ownable can give you that sense of satisfaction to know that your transaction has gone through. So those, uh, what we're trying to do is really not use exact sounds from our lives, but really stylize sounds that utilize what we know, the semiotics of sound in terms of how we operate day to day and, and bring those things to these experiences which really decreases learning curve, which is so important. We don't want to be teaching people how to use technology. We want it to be completely intuitive. And we, we call those sounds next level intuitive. Actually, in my book, I speak about sonic humanism. And I define sonic humanism as utilizing music and sound in ways that make people's lives richer and simpler. And all of this work, we look at it and, and say, how do we level up to sonic humanism? Whether it's 
television movie scores, whether it's products, whether it's devices, whether it's large-scale spaces, everything really needs to level up to that same concept and idea of putting uh, customers and people at the center of those experiences. It's interesting how you, you're talking about kind of replacing the voice with more kind of ambient sound. It's almost like it's almost like we've got this tool which can generate speech. You know, we've never really been able to make machines talk before. We've got this thing. We can make that happen now. Let's grab hold of that and push it into every possible angle, whereas it seems as though what you're saying, it's almost like kind of make, if you're making, I mean, obviously you know this more than I do, but if you're making a song, for example, sometimes you need to sacrifice a bit of it that you really, really love and not make it too overpowering because some, the, the whole is more important than that individual piece, isn't it? So it's, a, it's interesting hearing someone, you know, obviously with your kind of sound design sort of background, almost kind of, you, it's almost, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you, you're almost saying deprioritizing the obvious for the sake of letting that subtlety kind of exist. That's a really great way to put it. What uh, so the analogy to songs and production of records is a great one because what what is a song uh, other than a story, and those stories need to breathe and they need to have uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end at least. Sometimes it's a beginning and middle and a surprise that takes you somewhere else and then brings you back at the very end to have that that satisfying experience that you love from a song. And to bring that exact same mentality, thinking about scoring these experiences as a story, as you would for a, a, a song, as you would for a film score, in, in really thinking about the whole of the experience is that that's spot on. That's exactly the way we should be thinking about this because what I always say is it's really not about the sound that we're creating. It's really about the experiences that we create, which is the holistic whole of the entire multisensory experience. I'm keen just to step back a little bit because we, we kind of, we went on from this, but you were talking about you recreated the soundscapes from three Alexa skills. And through that, you found that people were far more likely to return to use the experience again. And, and the people enjoyed it far more. Tell us a little bit more about that. What did you do? Did you, did you take three existing skills and redo them? Did you build your own sort of things? And, and what was the project and how did it go? Presumably you must have done some sort of user research and testing. I'm just wondering if we can delve a little bit into into that piece of work that you did. Uh, thank you for bringing that up again because there, there is uh, some interesting detail on that. So we took existing Alexa skills and the reason was what we wanted to do was to have a baseline for research. We have a research partner, Sentient Decision Science. And Sentient, with us, we created the methodology to be able to measure people's responses. And it, it's a combination of both uh, conscious and subconscious research. Some, some different points, it, it's much better to be able to ask people what their experiences are. And in some ways, the research that we create, uh, we created with Sentient, it's much more important to get people's subconscious reactions. So uh, the subconscious reactions are measured in what's called implicit association testing, where you put uh, 
respondents under a little bit of pressure and they might have a sort of a joystick kind of approach where they can choose A or B and they're timed. So those, those responses are timed so that we really can get the sense of, you know, before they cognitively decide whether that answer is going to make them cool <laughs> or, or make them, uh, you know, because that's not how we operate in the world with sound. We operate really very instinctively. And think about early man. Early man, it was incredibly important for the survival of the species to know when you, they heard a twig snap, whether right behind the bush, whether, and all their senses would come attuned to that bush and what was behind it. It was incredibly important to know whether that was lunch or they were about to be lunch. So this is, again, how we operate as human beings. We don't need to be taught this. Uh, this is how we instinctually operate in the world. So it's incredibly important that we both are looking at uh, audience research that is conscious and also subconscious to really get a good picture about the impact and the effectiveness of the music and sound that's being created. So you created three Alexa skills, recreated three Alexa skills, three existing Alexa skills, and then you tested them to figure out what people's subconscious reactions were to the experience as well as what their um, sort of, I suppose, conscious behavior is towards them. So what did you do that in, in those things that you rescored? What did you do that was different specifically to the, the original? So the pre is pre and post. In the pre, it was using those skills exactly uh, as they were on smart speakers. And then it was around scoring the experience, utilizing really emotional ambiences and little memory triggers that remind you of sounds you hear in the world to score those experiences. So rather than them being just voice, they were experiences with both voice and scoring, very subtly used, and that's what provided the results. So it was important for us to use the pre-skill and measure it against the scored skill. So that's where we saw the lift of 27% increase in people's tendency to say that those experiences were fast or easy and a 32% lift in terms of people's desire to engage with that experience again. In fact, the research that we uh, did, not in smart speakers, but in other aspects of consumer behavior, we found an incredibly interesting statistic, and that is that when people hear a sound in association with an experience, they are, there's an 86% correlation that they want to have that experience again. And if they have an experience and hate the sound, dislike the, the sound in association with that experience, there's an 86% negative correlation. People never want to have that experience again. Wow. That explains why car manufacturers invest so heavily in things like the sound of the door closing and stuff like that, I suppose. Um, that's fantastic, that. So essentially what, what you've proven with, with that piece of research is that by investing in the sound and the soundscape rather than churning out kind of speech to text-to-speech kind of voices, is that there's a proven increase in the user experience 
and potentially on the repeated engagement? It, what we find in the research is that the best combination is voice when it's needed and scoring when that's needed. And also things like uh, reward sounds, which are extremely short, little uh, bits of music and sound. The combination of all those three, uh, all those three things, all those three elements, that would cre- that's what creates the best experiences. When we think about it, that's not a, an incredible surprise because that's how radio plays operate. That's how podcasts operate. That's how film scores operate. That's actually how we operate in the world, uh, where there's foreground, midground, and sa- uh, background sound. The the background sound we find pleasurable things like birds in the trees well hopefully we find them pleasurable if we're having a good experience uh the the foreground sounds are the ones that need to grab our attention have us focus all our senses on something Hmm. so smart speakers are they then in your opinion are they changing the way that brands think about themselves from an from an audible perspective are they changing audio branding or is this just another thing that brands are already doing that they kind of need to just extend into what's really interesting is we have definitely entered a new age of audio and that is when you think about a lot of brands like credit card brands the plastic cards are disappearing so the opportunities for visual branding or even tactile branding those are disappearing uh, so audio becomes more and more important. Things like the transactional relationship you might with ha- you know might have with a smart speaker. Uh, those are very very important to brands. And in a lot of ways, I would say this is a revolution as big as the smartphone revolution. We know that less and less where we know really that people will be using things like keyboards less and less. Uh, that That's not a, an efficient or fun way to connect with technology. And the more that these voice skills and scored voice skills get smarter and smarter, the more these transactions start to feel like entertainment. And ultimately, that's really what we want. We want experiences that really... Uh, are geared to us and geared to having uh, something that's enjoyable that we maybe we want to do again and again. Mm. So if you were to be involved in kind of, because there's some brands who have already got some kind of sonic identity, you know, McDonald's has got the little and all that lot and you've got various brands that have their own kind of little jingles and little things going on then you've got some that don't have anything and what smart speakers and voice assistants are doing is yes you might have a very nice flashy website and a really cool logo and your color scheme might be really good and you know you might have a clever designer who's got some flashy gradients all over the buttons but take all that away and what you're left with is nothing if you've never done it before sort of thing so is this something that that people are needing to start on brands are needing to start from the ground up with would you approach everything that you do on a smart speaker as an audio branding exercise or do you just need to incorporate some better sounds into things 
Well, uh, most brands know now at this point that uh, brand is everything and everything is brand. The experiences, every single experience that you have with a brand is becomes, whether it's a visual experience or a transactional experience, really a two-way conversation with brands, uh, whether that's in a retail environment, smart, you know, smart speakers, or, or really any other way you come in contact with a brand, that all those things together are what makes a brand a brand and hopefully makes it a loved brand. So... Uh, unfortunately, the companies that have not been thinking deeply about this are way behind. That certainly things like an audio mnemonic or even what we call an anthem, which is a long-form piece of music representing the entirety of the brand, really representing uh, in a lot of ways the promise, not just to customers, but actually for employees. Those are all core elements that are incredibly important. But again, people don't want brands to shout at them. Uh, the McDonald's da 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 is a great mark. Maybe that's something at the beginning of a transaction they could use as a welcome sound. But then the question is, what sounds might they use which perhaps are derived from or related to their sonic logo that may be useful in terms of helping guide people through the experiences. What would a McDonald's ambience be that would let you know that your transaction was still happening and maybe cover some of the latency that exists in a lot of technologies? So again, it's 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 great to have a mnemonic. It's great to have an anthem. It's great to have identity, just as you have visual identity, you have sonic identity. In addition to that, we have to thinking about, we have to think about how can we score people's experiences, so uh, moment to moment to moment, like a movie, so that they understand where they are in the experience and they want to come back and have that experience again. Where should a company start if they're starting to think about uh, sonic branding? What's the first place that they should go to? So. Just to talk about the, the process of sonic branding, generally it, it's very, it, almost every aspect of sonic branding has an analogy in visual branding. No one just sits down and creates a, a visual logo that they like. That's not the way it works. They create a visual identity system. And they don't just come up with something off the top of their heads. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to use blue and, and curvilinear forms? It, it doesn't just come from some kind of inspiration alone. It comes from a brief. It comes from understanding what the brand stands for. Really, what's the personality of that brand? Where are they going? Where have they been? And taking the sum total of the story of that brand and deriving from it a creative brief. And we do exactly the same process we, we actually go through exactly the same process for creating audio brands, for creating sonic brands. Also, just as you do in visual branding, you want to look at all the competitors in that category and maybe even some competitors are aspirational outside of that particular competitive set, that particular industry, so that you know where's the white space for creative. So we take all those things. What's the brand about? What does the sound space in that category, even at a category, sound like? And, and how does that inform and inspire where we're going to go creatively? Once we, th you know, usually then we'll, we'll go straight to the anthem. Uh, and this is actually where a lot of brands get it wrong. An anthem being the long form expression, a long form piece of music for the brand, which tells the entirety of the story to 
their employees to uh, stakeholders in the brand to customers and why that's so important and why you don't go straight to just the mark is exactly it's exactly analogous to why you don't just create a logo only for a visual identity really what you have to do is begin to create a system and think about what are all the emotions that we want to get in associate we want to get to in association with the brand and then what instrumentation does that suggest what kind of energies uh, what's the just like a song or just like a movie score what are the parts that may be a little bit richer or a little bit more powerful and where is the brand a little quieter and what we usually suggest is to start with the anthem to derive from that a sonic logo that can stand the test of time and really is a short firm memory trigger so if you hear the anthem even once or twice then you hear the logo it's a, it's a hook just like a song so those are really the two core pieces and then from that it's a question of how might you be able to move the sonic identity system into things like brand navigation sounds, which is our term for UX sounds. How perhaps, uh, so for instance, we created a sonic identity, uh, sonic identity system for IMAX. And think about IMAX. IMAX, first of all, there are 1.4 million showings of IMAX movies every year. And everyone knows IMAX. Uh, but it's it, in terms of the technology, which is really the best place to see movies anywhere, the highest high frequencies, the lowest low frequencies, really amazing visual uh, experiences with you know super high resolution pictures. So IMAX is one thing. It's one brand. They represent that quality experience and the technology behind it, but also they need to move into all the outskirts of the places where that brand exists. It's going to sound different in a museum when you're talking about documentaries around travel or documentaries around science than it is in a, in a Marvel movie or than it is in a comedy or it is in a drama. Uh, so the sonic identity we needed to create for that we created for them the sonic identity we created for them needed to keep in mind how the brand could push into all these emotional territories and to us that's analogous to essentially a visual identity system where the visual identity system needs to follow the brand in a lot of places it shows up things like retail experiences advertising maybe sponsorships of music concerts, or also things like charitable uh, causes that they may want to be involved in. So we really think about sonic identity and sonic branding very much like visual branding. And how closely tied are the two together? If there's a visual rebranding, does that need a sonic rebranding as well? So our aim is to always create work that is iconic and enduring. And that's incredibly important. Same as, it's exactly the same as visual identities where people are creating visual identities. They're trying to create things that will stand the test of time. So hopefully you do a great job in both of those exercises. And then as the brand evolves, 
as its personality evolves or as culture evolves, then those elements must evolve with it. And most of the exercises we do in terms of avail, uh, that, that involve evolving marks, evolving sound, those things happen at exactly the same time because the exact same triggers, essentially, cultures move forward, the brand has moved forward, really trigger the need for both of those explorations simultaneously. The other thing we find is when we get to work with branding agencies or visual design agencies, we can inspire each other. Often, we'll come up with the music evolution first. With any luck, they'll be inspired by that visually, and then we'll be inspired by the visual shift, visual changes, sometimes the motion, sometimes how they might contextualize that visual brand system into new places. I mean, it sounds very cerebral, and I guess it is, but it also is quite aesthetic and emotional because at the end of the day, the sound and the visuals need to work together to tell that emotional story and to tell it very quickly and very succinctly. Mm. And the IMAX one that you did, that's a good example of where the visuals and the audio work together really well. We'll put the links in the show notes, but I'll just play it. Let me, let me just try this. Let me see if this actually works. I've tried this a couple of times and it's fallen flat on its face, but let's see if you can hear what is played here, right? Did that work? It did. Did it? It did. Congratulations. Wow. Look at that. Wow. So, so what up. you're hearing there is the countdown. And the countdown for IMAX is a, a truncated, a smaller version of that long-form anthem we created for them. But it has a very, very specific purpose. Uh, if you go to a movie theater, at the beginning is the commercial pod where there are <laughs> million-dollar or multi-million-dollar commercials that are created. And after the IMAX countdown, there are films with, you know, which are hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars. And IMAX, in a lot of ways, was not getting credit for the experiences that they were having in the middle with just a, a sound design countdown. So now what we did was create this long-form anthem which was then uh, truncated, really distilled down to music and sound that worked really great with the countdown. And you probably noticed at the beginning and the end, and I think there's also a place in the middle, this <laughs> which we call the IMAX drop. And the IMAX drop was emotional and also functional. Emotional in terms of we wanted you to remember that. So every time you hear it, not just in the theater, but also in the behind-the-scenes uh, director videos and sort of talking about 
why directors chose this story, why they chose certain actors, why specific locations were inspiring to them. And uh, again, that, that gets pushed out into things like comedies and dramas and science films and Marvel films with all these different uh, sort of energies and instrumentation. But it all comes back to that countdown piece, which everyone hears. And again, it's a little emotional trigger that ties the IMAX brand across all the different ways it connects with their customers. And that's that's a content. I'll put the link to this the uh, piece on here that, that's got all of the different videos on it. It's on Fast Company. Uh, so the whole anthem's on there. That was the countdown. Um, so you were saying there, Joel, that the countdown serves a specific purpose. That it's it's kind of like a condensed version of the anthem. But then even out of the anthem and out of the countdown, you get these little kind of sonic cues that you can use throughout the rest of the brand experience. So. It, what it sounds as all so let's kind of like bring that down on into the voice assistant kind of space you, presumably you would go through the same process of creating that anthem because then you've got the the sonic identity if you like and your toolkit to work with from that moment on would you in in the IMAX example and and in, in terms of recommendations for for brands and designers and whatnot on these platforms would you kind of do you distill or create kind of different versions of that anthem for each specific use case or would you come up with a couple of different examples of what you can use it for beforehand and what i'm trying to get to is do you kind of come up with a toolkit that then brands can just have and use or do you need to kind of create this bespoke soundscape or piece of of, of sound for each different experience it's a great question and really uh there are so many different ways to do this, but the ideal is, and again, when you think about creating an anthem or a sonic identity, it, we think about it as a modular construction of elements. So if we do our job properly, when you strip out a lot of elements, there are you know, different bits of instrumentation that exist there. And what we try to do is to create that toolkit, as you, as you mentioned, to be able to utilize that toolkit in as many, many different ways as possible. Now, sometimes the, the Anthem can't cover every single use case, and sometimes there are emotional cues or moments in the brand experience that you know perhaps didn't come out of the Anthem, and then those become additional uh, things that need to be created. Let me give you an example. We created a sonic identity for Disney Now, which is a, an online brand for Disney. And there's an anthem for Disney now, but if you, if you press a button on the interface repeatedly, it's sort of like, uh, it, it's a, there's an Easter egg. Uh, and we all know what Easter eggs are. Easter eggs are sort of surprise moments that are hidden in a video game or hidden in a user interface. And if you hit that button repeatedly, then usually there's some kind of surprising behavior. All of a sudden, uh, you know, you might have fireworks go off and, you know, on the screen and hear fireworks, but maybe there's a little element from that uh, brand anthem that might, again, tie it together, have a little bit of a, a memory trigger that goes off, to, you know, that, that helps us make sure we're linking back to the brand. That's so... I think that the the last probably the last question I'm conscious of time I know we've we've kind of run extremely over here um 
last question do you because from what we've spoke about obviously the stuff that you've been working on is is you know huge huge projects the imax example to to create something that sits in between you know a multi-million pound commercial and before a hundred million pound film it needs to be something that is pretty dramatic and, and we've we've we listened to the sample and you can see how intense it is especially if you're listening to this with with a pair of headphones on it is just completely intense um IMAX, it's not a small company. It's not a company with, uh, you know, shallow pockets, should we say. To get this experience right, to get this kind of audio branding experience right for for, for voice assistants and, and for the, um, you know, you mentioned that, that this is a kind of the new interface. Well, I think we believe, uh, me and Dustin believe that certainly, that this is the new kind of interface and, and the, the adoption is going to be rising. Right now, there's so much that goes into it. You know, you've got persona design, conversation design. You've got a whole load of technical work to do behind the scenes to create stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of pieces that you need to put together. Sound design is obviously a part of that as well. What the what that I wanted to ask is, do you see or when do you see it becoming a point where this is because it's at the moment the skills out there that three of which you've kind of remastered, if you like, to put some some decent sound design in there when do you think it'll reach the point where it's absolutely unavoidable at the moment it is kind of avoidable because it's happening the experiences might not necessarily be fantastic but there's a lot of stuff out there where a lot of this stuff has been overlooked do you think it'll reach a point where this actually is is unavoidable or do you think we're already there well uh, the question for companies is whether or not they want to stand out in the competition uh, last I heard, there were about 80,000 Alexa skills. And the question is two things. First of all, how are you going to discover those skills? And a lot of it probably is around word of mouth. So the better those experiences are for people, the more they're going to tell their friends and family about it. So very much that helps with discovery. The other thing is I think it's really important to know that brands don't have to go through a massive exercise to be able to at least have some benefit. Listen, to have uh, both identity and experience covered at the same time is a bit more involved. But if you're just going for experience and some kind of a sense of something that at least feels on brand, that's a very inexpensive, uh, quick exercise. I would argue uh, much, much, much less than just putting a billboard up uh, in, in a number of different places in different countries, uh, much, much less than a full visual identity system, much, much less even than uh, the programming and, and creation of full skills and, and being able to uh, put them uh, into practice. So really brands that are not already thinking deeply about this and that are not already in the midst of thinking about how they score experiences, they're way behind. But the good news is, as long as they're thinking about this and as long as they are recognizing that it's about experiences and not just talking at people, they can quickly catch up. The uh, So I, I want to apologize to the entire audience for a second because here's what you're going to find out. What you're <laughs> going to find out is once you start paying attention to sound, you will never hear your life the same again. Because what we're doing in this, in this uh, conversation, in this forum, is bringing awareness to sound and music, bringing aware to the role of sound and music in our lives. And once you 
begin paying attention to this, once you start noticing this in the world, you can't turn it off. So uh, my deepest hope is that people who are listening to your podcast here begin to think about this. Uh, we're even beginning to think about this in places like healthcare. We're starting to score hospital experiences. Hospitals are actually horrible places to get better because there are alarms going off in emergency rooms all the time. In any particular patient room, there might be between eight, there might be between eight and 12 medical devices. And often they're alarming for very, very small things like a lead uh, is slightly loose that the, the language of sound in these devices is impossible to discern. There is one particular heart monitor we know of about that has 86 different alarms uh, when, when really caregivers can only uh, tell the difference between perhaps six or eight. So we're looking at how through places like healthcare, we might learn things uh, in terms of what sounds are most useful for caregivers and also apply those learnings to a lot of the other kinds of experiences people have every day. There's no doubt in my mind that the work we're doing in healthcare, both in terms of soundscapes and device sounds, is the most important work our company will ever do because it gives the opportunity uh, really for patients to have better experiences, not have sounds scare them and create cortisol reactions in the body that make them sicker. And it, again, it's all we need to do is to help people consciously understand how important this is to experiences. And you can see a light turn on in their head. Yeah, that's 100% right. When, when when my fiance was in labor, there was this little heart monitor machine next to her that she's hooked up to. And every five minutes, it'd go, beep. And I'm like, what's that? And the doctor's like, oh, no, nothing, just leave it. I'm like, that sounded pretty intense, that. And like, no, 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 just leave it. I'm like, well, what, don't you want to do something about that? <laughs> it's just, it's unbelievable how harsh it can be. And you're right in terms of as well, that once you start paying attention to sound, it's, you know, it's never the same. Even now, to this day, when I go to the cinema, I want to sit right in the middle of the room and all I'll do is I'll just listen to the film. That's what I'd spend most of the time doing is just listening to it because it's such an intriguing. As soon as you start listening, it's so intriguing what you find. But Joel, it has been absolutely a total, total, total pleasure. Apologies we've overrun a little bit here, um, but it has been an immense conversation. Not at all. It's been fun. <laughs> I feel as though we've left a lot on the table as well. I think we'll have to do this again sometime. Well, absolutely. Let me, let me see if I can learn a little more and uh, have a bit more to share next time. <laughs> it's been amazing Joel thank you so much oh, before before we uh, sign off where can people find out a little bit more about Man Made Music and, and reach out to you if they wanted to either work with you or follow the work that you're doing well uh, two ways they can reach out and get to know us a little bit more one is to just go to our website manmademusic.com and there's a lot of examples and ways to contact and connect uh, connect together and the other thing uh uh, I'll just give one more shameless plug to the book I wrote called The Sonic Boom, How Sound Transforms the Way We Think, Feel, and Buy. And uh, love to hear people's thoughts about the book, love to hear their thoughts about what their experiences are with technology, and look forward to building that future together. Fantastic. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. You can check them out there. Joel, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, uh, the pleasure is all mine. Yeah, thanks so much, Joel. This was great. This was inspiring. Excellent. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. That was Joel Beckerman of Man Made Music. 
such an interesting guy that was a truly inspirational discussion i love how joel is approaching every single piece of his work with a bigger vision and, and approaching everything from a higher level which is around soundscaping the world as opposed to making some audio for this Alexa skill he's soundscaping the world and I think that the principles we discussed today uh, and the insights that we got from Joel they're certainly applicable for if you're designing voice experiences but they're applicable beyond that as well um, so the main point really is that the research that Joel was doing has found that a lot of people, 27% of people thought that the experience, or 20% more people thought that the experience of an Alexa skill with the soundscape created, I think it was fast and easy. And 32% of people uh, thought, or 32% increase in people people's desire to engage with the skill again so it's it seems as though the evidence would suggest that investing in sound creates a better user experience there's a load of skills out there tens of thousands of skills out there and the vast majority of them don't really invest in audio at all you know a lot of them are using the built-in standard voices and with hardly any audio or no sound in the background whatsoever so the opportunity out there to really invest and nail this thing that the payback is unreal there's only a handful of skills who have actually done really well when it comes to sound design i'm thinking of the the westworld skill i'm thinking of the dunkirk skill uh lego have got a pretty impressive uh soundscape but more skills don't really have it there's just such an opportunity there to, for people who and for brands who who really grab hold of this and and, and to take it on um so yeah thank you joe for joining us thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that um and i hope that that it's changed the way a little bit that you think about the creation of these voice experiences and the other thing i liked about what joel was saying is deprioritizing the voice sometimes just because we can make these things speak doesn't mean that we need to use the voice all the time there might be better ways of doing it uh, and more subtle ways of, of of achieving the same thing um yeah absolutely amazing i do hope that you enjoyed that Thank you, Joe, for joining us. Thank you, Dustin, for co-hosting. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.